Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we continue our series, Making the Most of Your Salvation, with a message entitled, Knowing the Holy Spirit. So turning your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. been speaking about making the most of your salvation and using the image of computer technology, that we're not using it to full advantage. I've been saying that there are so many aspects or advantages to our salvation that you know we're actually not fully accessing. And today I want to speak about the reality of the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity. You know, for many Christians, his presence and power remains a mystery. They try hard to live their Christian life without understanding what has been given them in the third person of the one who is truly God. There's so many aspects of the experience of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, and it's just not possible in in one short address to even begin to scratch the surface of that topic. I fear at the outset that whatever I say about the Holy Spirit is going to be woefully inadequate. So let me say that on another occasion, I've done a two-week topical series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And and back then, I spoke first of the identity of the Holy Spirit, that is, who he is, how he is the one God, and how we are to understand him. Then I spoke on the activity of the Holy Spirit in the Old or in the First Testament. I then spoke on the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then I spoke on the power of the Spirit, his gifts, the fruit of the Spirit, and then I spoke of the Holy Spirit and his relationship to the Bible. And then finally, on how the Holy Spirit moves us to live a life of love. I have no intention of recreating what I did then and duplicating that here. You can find that series on Back to the Bible Canada, and I commend it to you. But today, I want only to deal with two things. First, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to faith in the first place? See, I ask that because for many Christians, the only understanding they have of their own conversion is that they made a personal choice to follow Jesus. In other words, they give themselves all the credit and they give no credit to the Holy Spirit. And because of that, they also discount the importance of the Holy Spirit in every other area of their lives after their conversion. And then second, I want to speak of three things, and that is three things of many things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives after our conversion. So first, I'm going to talk about our growth into holiness. After all, he is the Holy Spirit. You know, second, I'm going to mention that it is the Holy Spirit alone who can give us assurance of salvation. And then third, I'm going to make an appeal to you to rely on the Spirit to continually renew your life. Okay, let's begin with a matter of conversion. How is it that you and I have come actually to that moment where we've surrendered to him? I mean, what brought you to that point? And here, I don't want you to say, well, you know, I was raised in a Christian home, or I was at a point of crisis, and then I turned to Christ. You know, if that's the only means that you have of explaining the miracle of your conversion, well, let me say you've stripped the mystery right out of your faith and left yourself with an impoverished view of your faith. So where do we begin? Well, perhaps the best place to begin is the description of the universal sin in the human race, that thing that Paul described in Romans 125, where he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Let me see if I can restate that in my own words. Sin is the assertion 
that human autonomy, or let me put it personally, sin was your personal assertion that your autonomy and your independence trumps God's sovereignty. You used to say, I can forge my own destiny. I can create my own truth. I can I can construct my own future. I can create my own vision for the good life. All I have to do is follow my own heart and do what you know Frank Sinatra sang about. I did it my way. The creator should butt out and leave his creation to me and to the rest of the human race. See, I think that's a pretty good definition of sin, and it's an accurate description of you before you came to Christ. But there's so much I can say about your state before you came to Christ. See, 1 John 3 verse 4 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Notice the passage doesn't say that sin is law-breaking. Of course, sin is breaking the law. I mean, God has laws, and his laws are for every human being. Sin violates the creator's laws. But notice, the passage says sin is lawlessness. You know, there's a difference between someone who breaks the law and a lawless person. See, a lawless person is an anarchist. He or she is a law unto himself or herself. I mean, this person has, you know, their own personal moral code, and he or she cares little about anything else. Indeed, that is sin. Human autonomy, human anarchy, human declared freedom from God. That's exactly what we once were. Now then, just how deeply was that attitude rooted in your heart? Well, let's read a number of scripture texts that identify that at various points in time. First, do you remember what Stephen said, Acts 7, 51? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. So stop there. Consider the claim you always resist the Holy Spirit. That is, that's your pattern. That's your custom. It's your habitual behavior. You resist the Holy Spirit. You always do it without fail. See, it's no exaggeration to say that's what you do on every single occasion. You always do it. See, it's not an exaggeration. It's an accurate description. Now, consider this further from the words of Jesus. John 16, verse 8, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. He brings an inner awareness of God's law and our culpability in breaking it. He reminds us that something is wrong. And yet, says Stephen to his detractors, look, you've made a repeated and consistent practice always resisting. Is that true of everyone? Well, it seems that's exactly what the scripture says. John 3, 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Here's the reason for lawlessness. People love darkness. And by the way, this is an example of the biblical perspective of human psychology. Look, I'm not unaware of the various theories used to explain human behavior. I mean, Those who are behaviorists argue that human behavior is rooted in a complex series of interactions with the environment and that conditions our responses, both the negative ones and the positive ones. And again, others are going to argue that factors in biology also have to be considered. That is, your internal wiring also determines how you respond to the world and your attitude towards things. That's all true, but the Bible adds a dimension most psychologists have never considered. Given our fallen nature, our hearts love darkness, and our innate love of darkness, which is love of lawlessness or love of being our own law, overrides all other choices. 
Indeed, we've become slaves to lawlessness, helplessly locked into rebellion, motivated by a declared independence of God. So we've got a picture, haven't we? You know, on the one hand, there's the Holy Spirit wooing us, and then there's the dark heart which is capable and it's determined to resist the Holy Spirit. So 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, I think 1 Corinthians 2.14 is communicating that in our pre-conversion state, we will always reject the wooing of the Spirit because we can't imagine there's any value in it at all. So grasp the picture. See, the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin and of God's righteous requirements and about the judgment to come. And every person has an innate sense of those things. But we, in our love of our own autonomy, in our desire to be our own God or to create a God who looks more appealing to us, have simply silenced the voice of the Spirit. And the reason why the Bible calls that death is because it's an irreversible condition. But then something wonderful happened when we got saved. I mean, listen to what Jesus said to Nicodemus, John 3, 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then over and over again, Jesus refers to our conversion as being born of the Spirit. And then later in John 6, 63, Jesus will even say, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. That is, you're incapable of contributing to your own conversion. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Or listen to the conversion story in Acts 10:44. See, while Peter was still saying these things, the passage says, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Or hear the words of Paul in Titus 3, verse 5. He says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This past year, I've taken the opportunity to author a new book entitled, Making the Most of Your Salvation. You know, in this day and age, I can't imagine a more important topic as it provides insight into the essential benefits of your salvation and in so doing provides a message of hope and joy so needed in challenging days. I think it's true to say that many of us walk through our daily journey with Christ, uncertain of really all that he's done for us through his death and resurrection. You know, we question and we struggle because we don't understand the breadth of what Jesus has provided for his people. 10 key benefits I'll share, including our adoption, the Holy Spirit, and our assurance. I want you to know all that your salvation provides. So for the month of February, Back to the Bible Canada is offering to send you my new book, Making the Most of Your Salvation, for free, just for asking. So request your copy today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. So it should now be plain that it wasn't our works or our decisions or our will that brought us to Christ. Our will was in bondage to sin and not inclined to see any value in salvation 
or in Christ, or in surrender to God, or in obeying God's law, or even in eternal life. The value we saw was in expressing our own autonomy. Ours was a declaration of independence from God. The explanation of our salvation is that we were effectively called by Christ, by the drawing power of the Holy Spirit, not by the strength of the flesh or the strength of our own willpower. Since that's exactly what the Bible teaches about this matter, does it therefore make any sense at all that some of us should think that having started by the Spirit, we can now grow in our faith through our own strength or willpower or our ability to do what God wants? You see, Galatians 3 verse 3 says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And that's the key question. And on a most practical note, I think that a great many Christians think exactly that. Young men and women, the temptation to fulfill your sexual desire outside of marriage is sometimes so great that you wonder if you can succeed. I mean, perhaps the Christian life is too hard, you say. Well, answer, yeah, it is too hard. You know, how about those of you who are dominated by greed or by anger or by any sexual impurity at all or by envy or by jealousy or fits of rage or by addictions? or by unforgiveness and the desire for revenge, or by slander. Well, you know, I can just go on and on. Truth be told, you know, these are the great struggles we face in our lives. And when we have received the new heart at regeneration, we find ourselves desiring, yeah, desiring to be rid of these sinful patterns of the flesh. But how do we win? Well, think again of your conversion. Is the explanation of your conversion your iron will, or is it the gracious, effective, irresistible call of the Holy Spirit? Well, then, having learned that the Holy Spirit's role is just that in our salvation, let's learn just a few things that the Holy Spirit gives to us in our new walk in Christ. So we begin by acknowledging that every single believer in Christ has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the ESV reads it this way, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, at the outset, let me suggest that I think a better reading of that verse should go like this. For we were all baptized in one spirit into one body. That is, we were all both baptized into the spirit and baptized into the body of believers at the same time. Every person who calls Jesus Lord has been baptized into the Holy Spirit, and we were all made to drink of the Holy Spirit. It's our heritage as believers. It's how we came to Christ. Notice also Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's to say, the defining mark of every believer is that the Holy Spirit resides inside of them. We're all baptized in the Spirit, and each of us has the reality of the Spirit living in us. Now, what's the benefit of that reality? Well, first... The Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we might put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. So go ahead to Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So do you see how serious that matter is? If you allow the flesh to have its way in you, if you let it dominate your behavior and your thinking and your acting, you'll suffer eternal death, which is, of course, eternal damnation. Now, look, 
I know that some of you have been taught that if you prayed the sinner's prayer, I mean, however many years ago it was, and you asked Jesus to come into your life, you're saved no matter how you live after that. That's patently denied in Romans 8.13. You know, if you live according to the flesh, you'll suffer eternal death. So this matter of growing in holiness now takes upon itself some very significant issues. Listen, unless you win the war over the flesh, you're eternally condemned. I hope, oh, I hope I've got your attention. This is serious stuff. Now, some of you are concerned. You know, I I struggle with my flesh. I'm constantly losing. And what's to be done about that? Well, go to Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. See, please understand the key. Don't walk or live according to the desires of the flesh. Instead, walk or live according to the Spirit. But how do we do that? Well, go ahead to Galatians 5, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You know, the pathway of freedom in Christ is to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, to obey his promptings, to be aware of his presence, to let him direct you to the things that please God. Think about what is good and holy, not about what is impure and unholy. Watch what you think about. Learn to respond moment by moment to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Keep a keen interest in the things that interest the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness and goodness, and all that stuff. You know, there are numerous examples of just that. Acts 15, after the Jerusalem Council, the leaders of the church wrote, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, they said. And then they gave instructions. Acts 20, Paul writes that he's going to Jerusalem and he says, I am bound in the Spirit. That is, I'm prompted by the Spirit to do something important. Or think about your own life. When has the Holy Spirit prompted you to share your faith with someone, to show acts of mercy to someone, to be more ardent in prayer? Well, you name it. Listen to the inward promptings of the Spirit, and when you do that, you're going to find that your flesh begins to lose its power. So that's an app, I'm going to say. It's an essential app that that you learn to be prompted, that you learn to be led, that you learn to be sensitive to, and always listening for the leading of the Spirit. Make it your habit. Second, it's an important thing for all believers to constantly seek to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. See, Ephesians 5.18 commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And on that note, let me suggest that you take some time reading the book of Acts, just concentrating on the different experiences believers have with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Or Acts 13, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Or Acts 13, 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. See, reading through Acts reminds us that the Holy Spirit stands ready to constantly renew us. You know, it's been said that the reason we need to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit is, you know, because we leak We're always drifting toward sin, toward letting the flesh reassert its horrifying power over us. We're always drifting towards complacency 
We're always prone to discount the promises of God and, and to drown out God's word and become attentive you know, to the voices of the world, the flesh, and the devil. But we're not left as orphans, for Jesus has come to us through his spirit to fill us afresh. And by the way, lest you think that this filling with the Spirit is simply an individual matter, let me also urge you from Acts to see it's a mandate for the whole church to seek fresh renewal constantly. And at any rate, we need always to be asking God to fill us again with the Spirit, to be confessing just how weak we are. Just when we thought that we had sin and, the, and this flesh thing beat, suddenly it reasserts itself in surprising ways. So because of that, ask always, constantly, with increased frequency. Pray this way. Say, have mercy on me, O God, I'm prone to sin. And then pray, come Holy Spirit and fill me again with your power and your holiness and your peace. Ask it often. See what the Holy Spirit does. One more matter. It's the matter of assurance of salvation. You know, the more we recognize the power of sin, the more easily we are likely to cry out with Paul in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am wretched woman that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, we might fear that we're not saved at all. And to that, we might respond with Romans 8, 15 and 16. For we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Look, I know it's a subjective experience, but it's a real experience. The Spirit reminds us that Christ owns us and that we've been made the sons and daughters of God. So please don't forget the Spirit who lives in you and learn to respond to His leading. Thanks so much, John. Let's just talk a bit more about the leading of the Holy Spirit. I would think for some, this could be a bit of a tightrope walk. Well, I know that when the Holy Spirit leads us, he never asks us to do anything that's in contradiction to Scripture. But I remember having a conversation once with an, an atheist, and we talked at some length, and, you know, long to the end of the conversation, it was like the Holy Spirit said, ask him now because he'll come to Christ. And so I said to him, I, I think the Holy Spirit has just told me that you're ready to come to Christ. And the man started weeping, and he said, yeah, I, I'm ready. Um, I think every believer has an experience somewhere like that. The Holy Spirit just spoke to us, and we knew we must obey. It's, it's part of what the Holy Spirit does in all of us. Thanks, John. That helps. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Making the Most of Your Salvation, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Your prayers and financial contributions are critical to our ministry. Back to the Bible Canada is funded solely by donations from people like you, our listeners. A critical group that sustains our Bible teaching program is our monthly partners. These friends of the ministry provide a stable foundation of support. So we thank them and present you the opportunity to join them today. Our monthly partner program called the 1119 Fellowship helps ensure that trustworthy teaching is available throughout Canada in creative ways so that the gospel is easily found and heard by anyone seeking it. By belonging to the 1119 Fellowship, you become part of a nationwide community committed to sharing trustworthy Bible teaching. 
ensuring that truth, wisdom, joy, and hope can be found for anyone searching for God. To learn more about the program and the unique benefits of becoming a member, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca slash fellowship.